0: You're listening to A Year of Spiritual Formation. Each episode will share a message covering an aspect of our eight doctrinal focuses for the year. In addition, each series will include a bonus episode of Ask a Theologian, where Pastor Dave will sit down with the theologian to have a conversation about the series topic. Listen in for our first episode in God Unveiled, where we learn about the doctrine of God. Hey, welcome to all of our locations joining us online this morning. We're starting our year of spiritual formation today. Are you excited about getting formed? Come on, how many of you? Are you excited about getting a foundation and formed? I love that we are able to do that. And of course, uh, if you've been here a few Sundays, if this is not your first time, uh, you'll know that we are uh, integrating everything in our church just to work towards formation this year from our... Um, Sunday services, our kids are studying the same material in C3 Kids right now. Our midweek groups allow us to go deeper with that. We have a podcast running alongside this with more information. So we really want, it's our desire that we just get really deeply, uh, foundationally established in Christ because when we know what we believe, then we know how to answer. Uh, What you believe really has has an effect on how you live. How many of you know that? Wave your hand at me. If you know that, how, what you believe really affects how you live, and so we want to make sure this year we're just taking uh, a lot of time to just put that right into, uh, into our lives. Um, this morning we're starting off our first series in spiritual formation, and it's uh, it's uh, you'll see it I think come up on the screen here. There it is, God unveiled, God unveiled. So we're going to talk about God. Hey, that's a good thing to do in church. Anybody think that's a good thing to do in church? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about God, but particularly when we want to talk about uh, God in terms of who He is and, and kind of foundational things. So today, uh, my title, if you're taking notes, is the Trinity uh, Unique Divine Harmony. The Trinity Unique Divine Harmony. But I want to use scripture as we start. This is our theme for the entire series, but this is, uh, I'd love if you just, uh, we're, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, so you can follow along the screen, you can go to your own Bibles. Um, but we'd love to have you uh, just full of scripture today. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, it says, He says, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on the earth. There's something absolutely profound about this Psalm because God says to us, be still and know that I am God. We're going to, Teach some things over the next few weeks about God, but God comes to us in the stillness of our life. God reveals himself to us, not just through the word, but God chooses to reveal himself to each of us personally as we're still and we're waiting for God. And I, I want to start this time together, this series that we're doing on the Trinity, and on God's nature, and and I want to start it with us all across all of our locations. Right now, just taking a couple of moments, closing our eyes, and let's just be still for a couple of moments. It's not in memory of anyone. It's, God, we're asking you today in the stillness to allow us to know you. Lord, we want to know you. And God, I know you want us to know you. Today, I wanna take you and help you get a better grasp of a word that we hear spoken about in church, Trinity. I mean, we have Trinity Church here in Kelowna, probably several of them, I'm not sure. Trinity is a common name, but most of us don't really know what that means. But I wanna take us through the Bible because understanding the Trinity, as you'll see today, is, is absolutely crucial and vital to understanding who God is and what God wants to do in the world today. A man by the name of Alexander McGrath, he's a theologian, he says this, he says, Most Christians see the doctrine of Trinity negatively as a rational problem rather than positively as a vision of God. Sometimes we spend a lot of our time trying to figure out the Trinity rather than sitting back in awe and wonder of our God who is that way. And I'd love us to see the majesty of God, the mystery of God in the Trinity. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, and we know this verse. We've read it before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many of you have read that before? You've heard that before. Even if you haven't read it, you've heard it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I, I, what do you notice about that verse? I, there, there's a lot of things that we can notice in this verse. And, and one thing that I notice right away when I read this verse is that the existence of god is assumed yeah. it's interesting because the bible doesn't actually argue make an argument for god's existence the existence of god is just understood in fact it's it, it, there there's no in fact the lo, log, although logical arguments can be made for the existence of god it still is a matter of faith and believing we believe. In fact, it says in, uh, I'm not used to all these pages, and to be entirely honest, I'm more nervous preaching today than I have been for a long time, probably since the first message I ever preached. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, oh, I want you to hear what it says. It says, For without faith it's impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God, must necessarily believe that God exists. In Psalms, it says that there is the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. The Bible assumes that there's a God. However, in a pluralistic society like we live in, the God that we serve, the triune God that we serve, is unique. I don't think most of us realize that. In his book called Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves says, he says, for what makes Christianity absolutely distinct is the identity of our God. If you're a Muslim, the idea of a triune God or the idea of three persons but one God would be disturbing. In fact, the Quran specifically says and denies the Trinity. Someone says that Yahweh and Allah are the same God but different names. They don't know what they're talking about. But you do. If you were Jewish, the idea of a triune God would be blasphemous. When Jesus identified himself with I am, he said before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am. When he did that, the religious rulers around him knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I'm God just like Yahweh is God. And they picked up stones to kill him because to them that was blasphemy. As I talk about Trinity today, as I talk about God, sometimes we have, we may need to correct some of our thinking. <laughs> Devout Jews believe the same today that Christians are blasphemers. Can I just... I'm going to put this out there cautiously. Thank you so much. I'm going to put this out there cautiously. We need to be kind of careful as Christians when we go back and keep saying, hey, let's do these Jewish festivals. We're actually not under that covenant anymore. This is a different thing. And Jewish people don't believe that there's a Trinity. And that is unique. And I'm going to share a little bit more about why that's unique and why that means a lot about creation about who we are, and what God wants for us. So, our belief in the Trinity is grounded in historic Christianity, historic Christianity's understanding of God. So I, I, I want to read from the Nicene Creed. Any Anybody here have heard of what the Nicene Creed is? So... Around the year 325 A.D., the church got together and said, we've got a whole lot of people with all sorts of different ideas about God and other things. And we need to say, this is actually what we believe. This is our understanding from the apostolic record of Scripture and from the understanding of the church as it's been passed on from the apostles and from Jesus' teaching. This is who and this is what we believe. And so I want to take a moment to read at least some of it this morning. It starts this way. It's kind of like... The, the historic Christian profession of faith. It starts this way. It says, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end we believe in the holy spirit the lord the giver of life who proceeds from the father and the son with the father and son he is worshiped and glorified he has spoken through the prophets we believe in one holy catholic church an apostolic church incidentally catholic in this phrase just means universal it's not roman catholic We believe in a holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So the Nicene Creed was to help us understand and be able to confess what Jesus is. So let's talk about God in three persons. Some of you may remember singing singing the hymn, God in three persons. Blessed Trinity, I see a few people have been in church for a long time or are older, and you're uh, nodding your heads, Russ Brackenberry's nodding his head, I know that, Blair Ball particularly. Um, people often try to make the Trinity more understandable by using some examples, and I'm going to take a few this morning. Uh, some people have used the example of the egg, you know, yolk, white, white. Shell, all egg, but separate and distinct. And uh, uh, H2O water, the triple point of water, where at that moment it can be uh, ice, water, and steam. Three-leaf clover, triangle. Uh, any of you have heard some of those um, kind of expressions? Just wave at me a little bit, OK? I can't see people online, so you have to do triple duty here, OK, if you're in person. Uh, can, can I say this? Please, please, please don't use those examples. Don't use those examples and, because they're absolutely inadequate, and, and they simply limit or reduce our understanding of the majesty of God that is this triune, trinitarian God that we serve. When we try to reduce it to a mathematical formula, as I referred to Alexander, or Alistair McGrath earlier, so we try to rationalize... The Trinity, we try to understand the Trinity in a rational way where it must become a combination of, uh, uh, of ration, yes, or rationality, yes, but faith. Let's not try to bring it down to that level. So let's, let's look a little bit and see what the Bible specifically says about the three persons of the Trinity. Now, although the Old Testament primarily expresses the oneness of God, you can see some very obvious hints of the Trinity right from the very beginning, right? If you've got your Bibles... We're gonna to go to Genesis, because that means beginning. And in Genesis chapter one, wow, you can't get much more than Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and verse 27. It's, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, that's kind of an interesting statement for God to make. One God, but yet he talks about us. And then he says, well, you know, you could say, well, maybe it's just a group of people or a group. The angels were around, so God was saying, let us make mankind. But then he says, let us make mankind in our likeness or in our image. And we know we're made in the image of God. So God is giving us a little hint in there. He says, And then he goes on to say, so that, uh, so that they may rule over fish and sea and the sea and birds in the sky over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Uh, He created them. There's this this mix of plural and singular. Right in this particular passage, God just kind of gives us a little hint right at the very beginning that, hey, there's more going on here than what you can understand or what you know. And God's giving us a little hint about the plurality of God, about the, the Trinitarian nature of God, that there's three persons, one God. Now, and, and there's a lot of implications to that. Now, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus makes it even more clear. He says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of. You see, it doesn't say the names of. It says the name of. And, And just so you know, I verified it with the original language, and it does say name, not names. It says the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here, Jesus is telling us very clearly that there are three persons in that one name that there are three persons in that one God. Three distinct persons. Now, I know it's hard to understand. I know it's hard to comprehend. That's why we take some things by faith, and that's why we appreciate and value the majesty and the the mystery of who God is. One person, or sorry, one God, three distinct persons, same essence. One God, three persons, inseparable yet distinct inseparable yet distinct. Are you with me? All right. So, one of the implications, one of the things that's important for us to understand is that this Trinitarian God, this Trinity, is love. God is love. How many of you have ever heard that? You've read that God is love. In fact, it says it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. So, we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. God is love. Now, we could read that quite casually and go, well, that's great. God is loving. And in our in our thinking about it, we go, well, that means that God loves us. That means that God is loving. But what John is trying to tell us is in this very fact that because God is a Trinity, God can be loving without being self-centered. Here, here we have God who is three persons who from all of eternity are busy loving each other. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit helps them love each other, they love together. In fact, the Eastern Orthodox Church, they have this great word that they use to describe this this love and this fellowship of of the uh, Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son. They call it perichoresis. I put it up on the screen for you because it's such an important word perichoresis is, is actually a word that means um, a continual dance. So here we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all of eternity in a choreographed, it's as if they're in a choreographed, dance together. Now, I'm not much of a dancer. My wife will verify that. I grew up in the age when Pentecostals were not allowed to go to dances, so... You know, I've been fr- I'm have been free of that now, but the problem is in not being allowed to go to dances, I missed an important part that you get when you go to dances. I never learned how. So uh, I, although I am free and able to, uh, you know, do those things, I don't know how. Uh, so there's sometimes, you know, maybe that's a limitation on freedom, I don't know. But uh, that's one of those things, right? So I, I don't understand that, but I, I am old enough to have watched people dance a waltz. How many of you have seen people dance a waltz? Um, You get two people dancing a waltz, and to me, when I look at dancing a waltz, the key is to not step on the other person's feet. Uh, That seems to me the point, Uh, but in order to do that, you have to be in some degree of, uh, of synchronization. You're not doing the same things, but your movement mirrors the other person's. And you're dancing. And so I'd love if you could begin to imagine three people waltzing together, which is hard to imagine, but all of the movement are mirrored and they are choreographed in such a way that nobody gets their feet stepped on, yet everybody has their own movements and everybody is involved in this, but they're doing it together. And that's the picture that the Eastern Orthodox Church had of God. I think it's a fantastic picture. I think it's better than any egg or better than any three-leaf clover, this idea of a dance. And so we have God the Father loving God the Son. We have God the Son loving God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit loving God the Father and God the Son. And all of them in forever from the beginning of eternity, which there is no beginning of eternity. But for all of eternity, they are constantly loving each other because God is love. Love. Now, if God were a singular God, I just want you to think this through. This is is maybe a logical, it's not mathematical, but logical. If God were a singular God, before creation, who did God love? He would have had to love himself only, which incidentally, that's sometimes called selfishness, self-centeredness. But... The only way we can understand God to be God of love is actually understanding him as a trinity who from the beginning of time, the Father loved the Son, which means the Son has existed from the beginning of time. The Father has always been the Father. The Son has always been the Son. The Holy Spirit has always been the So they've always been loving each other and, and able to do that. And so when God says he loves us, there's, there's actually so much more of that One of the things I, as I'm trying to share today, is it's, I feel overwhelmed with the amount of stuff I would like to share. Because this this is such a rich, uh, this is such a rich understanding when we begin to understand how much. See, God didn't create mankind out of a need for somebody to love, God didn't need somebody to love. There were three persons loving each other for eternity. God created. Mankind out of an overflow of his love. That changes how I see the world. It changes how I view my mission in life. My mission in life is to reciprocate God's love. And my greatest sin is not moral. It's not reciprocating God's love. talk about that in another message. So before we were created, God existed eternally as three persons, constantly in fellowship, loving each other. And that's why we can logically say God is love. Always been a father loving his son, always been a son loving his father, always been a Holy Spirit through which they love each other. So there's where God and love are connected. But in the Trinity, there's there's, there's something else that's equally as important to understand is that The Trinity is three distinct persons, not modes, not three modes of God or not three expressions of God. So what does that matter? Well, again, we come back to the thing, if God is not a Trinity, then God could not have been loving when he had no one to love. So taking that basis, we also realize then that If God were just showing up in different modes. So here's here's how some people would describe it. Some people who deny the Trinity. and, and, And incidentally, this is one of the reasons why using examples like eggs and water are so limiting. Because they separate God in a way that God's not separated. So some who deny the Trinity would try to explain it as three modes of God. I read an author, author uh, some time ago. He described it as three moods of God, three modes of God. So they say this, say that when in the Old Testament God was the Father, and in the Son He was the New Te- He was His mode was Son in the New Testament, and now His mode is Holy Spirit. The problem is, the Bible clearly speaks about the three persons of God operating and being in the same space at the same time. Not literally in the same space, but in the same verse at the same time. And there's, there's others that say, well, you know, it's, it's more like God, the three persons of God are more like looking at God from three different perspectives, three different or different sides of the same coin. So you see God the Father when that's what you need. Or you see God the Son if that's what you need at that time. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? Again, it's the same problem. The Bible clearly shows the different persons of the Godhead operating and existing at the same time. So let me say this clearly. One God, three persons, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. Here's what, here's what Paul says, and I, and I love this verse. It's... Uh, It's in Colossians 1, 15 and 16. We've got it in the uh, New Revised Standard Version. It says, He is the image of the invisible. He's talking about Jesus. saying, He is the image of the invisible God. For in Him, all things in earth are in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Did you catch that? All things are created through him. Who created the heavens and the earth? We read that. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. So, so what's Paul saying? He's saying Jesus was there, and this is Jesus created there. And that he's the image of the invisible God. The historian, Luke, Dr. Luke, he records Peter's message in, in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 to 4. This is really interesting. He says, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? So he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the Lamb. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? But here, Peter just kind of clarifies it. He says, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. But he just said he lied to the Holy Spirit. So here's Peter saying Holy Spirit is God. They're not two different sides of the same coin. The Holy Spirit is God. Same thing. And then Mark describes in Luke chapter or sorry in the book of Mark in verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 10 to 11. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, this is Jesus baptism, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now that verse is pretty clear to me, that God the Father, voice from heaven, at the exact same time as Jesus the Son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, descending on him, all three persons at the same time. Now if you think that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are just different modes or moods of one God, you'll have a hard time understanding how Jesus was sitting there and then he shot up into heaven while nobody noticed so he could speak down on himself and then quickly reversed that and came down as a a dove and and just kind of, you know, I mean, if you want an illusion or a magical show, that was it. It doesn't make sense unless we understand God, the triune God. Three persons, one God. Now, that it's vitally important because God creates and relates out of who he is. I, I want to get you thinking about some of this stuff too, okay? Because God is divine, diversity is a reflection of his nature. Think about that. Because God is a triune God, he's not a singular God. Diversity, difference, is a reflection of his nature. Diversity is not just God's idea, it is who he is. right? But diversity is held together by absolute unity. One God, three persons. Still one God, three persons. So we have this diversity in unity that's just really, really important to understand that God's plan is for diversity because that's who he is because God created in his image. So God created intentionally different races because it reflected him. Different sexes because it reflected the diversity in him. That's why at our church, that's why I can say I, 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 we're going to be a church that is diverse as heaven, but we could say diverse as God because that's God's plan. So it's vitally important. So, in that, and one other thing I want to say about the Trinity in this context is because of the diversity in unity, nature of God, it shouldn't really surprise us by this point in time that the Trinity is then the model for a godly community. Jesus says this. This is, this is Again, I, I, in case you haven't noticed, there's a lot of passages here that I absolutely love. I think they're fascinating. I, I find the whole Bible fascinating. But in John chapter 17, 20 to 21, Jesus is praying, and he's talking to his Father in heaven. He's praying to his Father, and he says this. He says, but my prayer, he's just said, I'm praying for my disciples, but, I, but my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's us. Right? We're the ones that have believed in the message, the apostolic message that has been um, uh, carried through the centuries to us in the scripture. We believe that message. He's talking to us. He says, my, my prayers to them, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are are in me, and I am in you. Some translations say that they may be one, Father, just as you and I are one. So Jesus says, he says, I want the church to have the degree of unity that, Father, you and I have, the Trinity, but the diversity that you and I have, not the same persons, not the same function, not the same uh, uh, personality, distinctiveness, Within the church, that's why we can celebrate unique giftings, because that's what God is. That's why we celebrate being different, because that's what God is. That's why we fight hard to stay united, because that's what God is. Interestingly, the Old Testament emphasizes the oneness of God. The New Testament emphasizes the distinctness of the persons of God. They're both there. They're both there. In... uh, Paul, he, the Apostle Paul, he describes that same unity and diversity differently, but he says it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. He doesn't say, so it is with Christ's body. He says, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were still given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. This is such a beautiful picture. He, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, get, get the, for we all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether formerly Jews, or formerly Gentiles, or formerly slaves, or formerly free. He doesn't say that. In who we are who God made us, the diversity, this is what God wants. As I come to conclo- close, and I realize I'm probably a little longer than normal, maybe not, I don't know, I've kind of lost track. But let me, let me say it this way. Diversity is not and ac- should not be an accommodation by the church. It's a necessity if we want to reflect Jesus. Over the last little while, you've probably heard me, at least on more than one occasion, talk about how I, I I, believe that we should have all the languages of heaven in the church. I don't think, and I know there's many people listening online and in our locations, I, I don't think it was God's intention, intention for us to meet as English-speaking, and then let's have a separate service for Spanish-speaking, and then let's have a separate service for Pakistani, let's have a separate service for, I don't know, whatever. I I actually think we're supposed to figure out how to do it together. Because that is a reflection of the Trinity. I understand we have language barriers, we have things like that. Those are just barriers to getting where we want to go. It's God's purpose to have diversity in hard-fought unity. And in that way, the church then represents God in his fullness. I believe that, and although I've already stated, I believe that the doctrine of the Trinity and understanding of the three persons in one God is absolutely essential that we understand it, because now we know how to reflect God as a church. We can't get confused about that. There's lots of other implications to it, which we'll talk about in other messages. But let me finally, uh, finally, did I say I was concluding already? That's okay. I'm only in my second one. I, I get two or three. That's usually what? Evangelists get 10 or 12, so I get two or three. Uh, let, let me say this. Permitting racism to exist in the church is simply ungodly, clearly, because God's a triune God. But so is permitting the church to be homogenous, to be all the same, and everybody look the same, and everybody talk the same language, and everybody the same. We still deny the Trinity. Because God is triune God, his community is diverse but united. We want to reflect the image of God. God is a triune God. I hope you understand that. Thanks for tuning in to a Year of Spiritual Formation podcast. To learn more about C3 Church in Central BC or for additional resources, head to c3church.ca.